Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast, episode 232. Uh, looking at it, Greg, what'd you name it? Oh no, we suck again. Yep, that seems very appropriate. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I'm just here today. I'm just here. Are we yep. all somewhere? You okay? Are you okay? Are you fine? Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I guess so. Is, is, is the room burning around me? People on YouTube can see it. People listening can, but is, is the room burning around me? Cause it sure feels like it. I don't know how to respond to that. So I'm just going to keep moving on. You can give us a follow at Piffles pod. I'm at real Alex D. I'm concerned for Greg. No, I'm at Safamod. And as always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on sports. And that's on X, apparently. Yeah. X going to give it to you. Well, great song by DMX, actually. Um, I'm confused, though, because Meta owns X.com or whatever it is. No, they they own the trademark on X. And so that's does Microsoft. And yeah, Elon's just trying to make X happen. And it's just not. So, Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming it's going to go back to Twitter at some point and just stay there, whatever, yeah. uh, check out the Piffles podcast on Facebook as well. And of course, pifflespodcast.com Piffles podcast brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone street and SAS drive in Regina. A <sighs> game against the lions kind of went exactly how I thought it was. Let's talk about it. Time for the opening kickoff. All right, so so nineteen to nine, the Riders lose, dropping their record to three and three on this season. And we're not going to get too in deep with uh, you know specific plays and whatnot. There's a few that we definitely have to talk about, but I want to start with the positives because there actually were positives in this game, and ninety nine percent of them came from the defensive side of the ball. Um, I was so impressed with the D line, especially in the first half, they had four sacks in the first half ended up with five total. I think it was, they were ferocious. It was exactly what this team needed. Um, we haven't seen them get any kind of pressure at all in the last few games. And they finally did. And that's a good step going forward. Cause now, I mean, you're a third of the ways through the season and you have, what is it? 11 of your 13 sacks in two games. So getting back on track here now, hopefully that'll get the team going. They look like they had a plan from Vernon Adams. They came out of the gate firing and Vernon Adams was the leading passer until he went down with injury this past, uh, past week. Good news is for Vernon Adams fans. Sounds like it's not structural. Sounds like he could be back as early as this week. If I were them, I'd probably hold them off a week. But still, like, 
the riders came out with a plan and they were executing that front seven looked like the front seven we were expecting going into this year. They were ferocious. I, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, if you would have told me that the riders would have five sacks in that game with Anthony Lanier out with injury, I would have called you in sync. We weren't getting pressure with him. How were we going to get pressure without him? But we all saw it. It was very clear as day how they were doing it. They were blitzing. They were actually blitzing on a constant basis. I don't remember seeing a play in the first half where one of the linebackers wasn't going. That was just, it was nonstop. They were in their face. And that's what this team needs to do. Make sure whoever is behind center on the opposition is not comfortable. And you saw how successful it was. That's a, that's a high-powered offense in BC. And we held them to 19 points. And realistically, we held them to 16 because we gave them the last three. Yeah, uh, good point about the blitzing. And that was a lot of uh, Larry Dean was in there a lot. And we haven't really talked a lot about the linebackers this year. Not that they've been bad, but they just haven't been you know, outstanding by any means. And for them to get the kind of pressure that they did, Micah Tights a whole bunch of times. Uh, Moncrief was in the backfield quite a few times as well, too. Um, it's a good thing going forward. So positives there. And just overall, I was starting to question the Jason Shivers zone defense. And it seemed like it was a little bit better with Jeremy Clark going back to the outside playing corner and bringing um, Williams on the inside. Uh, Williams needs to start learning how to wrap up tackles. And instead I am of going so sick. Hit. I'm so sick of those guys dropping shoulders. Like, make the sure tackle. Slow the guy up. Going for the big hit. You miss. It's a big gainer. I am so many times that game, so many times in the Calgary game, guys are too busy trying to go for that big monster hit. When, if they just take a guy down is a, it's going to be a turnover on downs the next, next time out. Deontay Williams is absolutely the worst for that right now. It seems like every time he goes for somebody, he makes, makes that shoulder hit. And he was a guy that we've been, well, I don't know. I've been high on since you know week one of the season. He's been lighting it up. But all of a sudden, he's stopped shoulder and arm tackling, and it's just going for that that hit and hope. And it, it, it burned him twice last game for probably a combined 30-plus yards. Not a, not a smart decision. And that second one, he just got ran over. I forget who it was. Was it Hatcher or, or Rhymes? It might have been Rhymes, actually. Um, but just blew him up. And that one was like – it was the play after he got – burned on it the first time and then he got ran over the second time. I was like, this guy needs to stop right now. Like coaches need to pull him aside. Um, but Where's overall, the yeah, but overall the, the defense was, was really impressive. And even with Vernon Adams going down, Dane Evans, still the best backup in the league. Um, like, I mean, you still held him to pretty much nothing. Um, just the, the one touchdown. So, um, at least until the end there, right? So um, good on the defense. But now we got to talk a little bit about, about the offense, which at times was a little bit offensive. And the big thing to me was there was no in-game adjustments at all. The second half looked exactly like the first half for the play calling and for Mason Fine, from, Kel from Kelly Jeffrey, and even the coaching decisions from Craig Dickinson. And that's the big thing. So let's... Let's start with Kelly Jeffrey and the play calling. What did you guys think of this game? 
So it was like listening to an episode of the Piffles podcast. Exactly, but uh, <laughs> but uh, bigger because it's on TSN. Um, I it was I it was so vanilla. Like everyone's talking about how great uh, Crumb is, but you can tell they're throwing everything against the wall to try to make this kid shine. It seemed like they had Mason Fine on training wheels and a chain, so he couldn't go so far. Like it was bad. This was as vanilla an offense as you see week one of preseason. There was no excitement, no, what's a good word for it? Just no thought to it. It was just dump it off, dump it off, check down, check down, run up the middle. There, there was nothing to it. It looked like a five-play playbook. And, and honestly, Mason Fine did fine with it. He was okay. But he wasn't going to do anything better than that with with what they were giving him to work with. Now, the first half, Mason Fine was 14 of 18. And I think it was for like 91 yards. Whatever it was, he was averaging barely seven yards of completion. Um, a lot of people were saying he had a great first half. And I think everybody fell in love with the completion percentage. Because I didn't see anything that really said great. So I don't know what a lot of, and this was coming from like Farhan Lalji as well. He said that he had a great first half. No, he didn't. He had a very pedestrian first half and it was all checkdowns. It was short passes. And my biggest issue with the play calling is that Kelly Jeffrey said that this offense before the riders signed Trevor Harris was starting to be designed around Mason fine. Mason Fine is in his third CFL season, all with the Riders here. We saw a little bit of him last year at the end of the season. This offense was suited for a guy like Dustin Crum, a guy making his first start, not a guy making his third start or been around for the third season. This was almost a slap in the face to Mason Fine to me because they treated him like he was a rookie, and he's not. Yes, I know he hasn't started. A lot of games so in the sense of starting games i guess you can call him a rookie but when you've been around the league for three years you got to open that playbook a little bit you got to trust him a little bit right because it just looked like they had no trust in him and they're like okay go down get a couple field goals hopefully our defense wins this game and gets a turnover because that's what it looked like now i don't know if it was just if the plays drawn up just you know it wasn't there so mason fine had to check down but there was nothing for him. And like, that was the big thing for me was that they just, they, they really shortened the playbook and not hurt the team. They dilfered him. Just do enough not to lose the game and the defense and special teams is going to carry you through. If only this defense was the, uh, the Ravens defense of 2000. Like they legit treat, treat him like he was Trent Dilfer. Just do enough to move the ball, get a few points, and we'll try to we'll we'll keep we'll keep you out of there, kid. Don't worry about it. That defense was out there a lot, and that is probably why they were powering down near the end because the Riders' offense was not on the field long enough to sustain the amount of pressure they had in that first half. I, the play calling was so boring. Like at some point, I was expecting. Like they brought Dalagal out on a sh- on a short short yardage. It was inches. 
Like I, I thought Patterson was a short yardage quarterback, but apparently we've got a short, shorter yardage package. Like I, I, I literally thought at some point they were going to bring Galagal out because just to try something because nothing was working or try this Patterson package we've heard of do something. Todd Mason fine was the short package at that point, the way they were throwing three yard outs and three yard curls. Usually oh, on I thought second you, I thought you meant that because he's like five, two and stilts. Yeah. Also that he actually has to jump over the line to get a first down on third and one there. Dolly Gala just has to fall over. But I mean, if, if you've had a guy here for three seasons, yes, it's his first season with Kelly Jeffrey. But if he's been here in the CFL for three years with the Riders, he's worked with a bunch of these guys. Give him the ball and let him run. With him. Just give him the opportunity with the full playbook. And if we lose, we lose. We were we weren't supposed to win that game. We were we what was the spread? Ten and a half. Like we weren't uh, yeah. expected to win that game. So this is this is the perfect opportunity. Just let him go balls to the wall, and and give her. And they decided to do the opposite. It mind-boggling to say the least, but mind-boggling is a great way to describe most of the decisions made at this game. And that's a great segue. <laughs> I do want to say before we move on to the mind-boggling stuff. I mean, it kind of was, but the run game. What was it? Eleven attempts for fourteen yards, like. It was non-existent. It was absolutely horrendous. And they kept trying to go to it, especially, you know, in third and short where it didn't work. Um, and that's going to lead us right here to... What, one second, though. I just got to say one thing about the BC Lions defense. There was no yak yards. Like the minute a rider got the ball, they were down. Like their tackling was amazing. It was scary how fast they took down the Riders receivers. Like, you know, no actually, one had any space. That's a good point because um, I actually saw that somebody uh, tweeted it during the Ottawa-Calgary game, and the difference between Crum and Mason Fine that they saw was that Crum, Crum's receivers in Ottawa had a little bit of room after the catch to try and run, or they were catching it on the run, whereas the Riders receivers were stationary when they caught it. They were not moving around. They got to their spot, and they stopped. So when you're doing that, you're allowing everybody to come to you uh, instead of trying to run away from them. So that was a really good, good observation there, I thought. Um, okay, well, let's talk. It's the elephant in the room, and it has been for me, at least for the last year plus, and it's Craig Dickinson. Anybody who's followed the Piffles podcast here, especially over the last year, knows my feelings about him. Um, but now everyone's starting to get on my side on this and it's really weird um having a lot of people Alex is right yeah exactly i'm gonna have to have this shirt made um <laughs> um but it's his it, it's it's the decisions to go for it or to punt instead so i wrote a couple weeks ago about his aggressiveness and how i liked it but at the same time it needs to be at certain situations and games uh it seemed like he was doing it all the time and but it needs to be situational and this game really stood out. And Steve, you wrote about it. It's a good article on pifflespodcast.com uh, about these, especially in this game, is questionable play calling. So first off, there's the third and two from your own 42. Now they did this against Calgary in Calgary as well. So I don't mind the idea to go for it. But at that 
time when you're running the ball and clearly the uh, like you're not running the ball like it it was not working i don't mind throwing a little play action or a little screen pass or i don't even mind a 40 yard bomb down the field taking a shot but to run it on third and two i was so mad at that just punt the ball flip the field it was a low scoring game know the situation here craig and flip the field and don't give them automatic points because that's exactly what happened what my you- problem with it my problem with it is like a drive or two earlier it was third and two on the bc lions half and we punted it why so if you're not going to go for it on their side why are you going for on your side when yeah it put them basically in instant points range it like i it made it blew my mind that they went for it so that's a big part of what i said in in the article that i wrote was that it wasn't just baffling decisions it's it's physically getting them wrong at the wrong time like you said that the third and two on their side we punt third and two on our side we go for it we take the or we go for the third down late in the game and then kick the field goal anyways these these it's not even just bad calls it's how he's making them and we're seeing him make the right call at the wrong time and the wrong one at the right time it's just it's incredible how that he's managing to bungle it up as much as he is like it takes physical talent to get it as wrong as he has especially last week like that that game against BC and I know we're going to go over all of them in a moment here but there you can point to five or six moments in that game where you go huh you, why when it works it looks great look at that pooch kick ridiculous decision but it worked out great call Evan Johnson did something good by forcing a fumble. And that's about as much praise as you're ever going to get for Evan Johnson from me on the Piffles podcast. Uh, <laughs> forcing the fumble and the Riders getting the ball back on that. Um, great tackle. Husky, great, le- uh, Husky legend. That's Evan right. Um, you're yeah. never going to live that down, am I? No, never. no, you're no. not. No. Um, but yeah, punting. And and that brings up uh, another thing. Instead of going for, what was it, a 51-yard field goal um, oh. indoors. Now, we know that Brett Lother has been iffy and he hasn't practiced in a couple weeks. So why is he on the roster in the first place? But also, if you can't trust a kicker indoors to go out and at least attempt a 50-yarder, that's a problem. So why are you, like, what are you doing here, Craig? That whole situation with with Lothar could be resolved by just sitting him and putting Campbell Fair out there and seeing what he has. Because I have more trust right now in Campbell Fair going out there and attempting a 50-yarder with the game tied than I do Brett Lothar. And I'm a huge Brett Lothar fan. We're all big Lothar fans, but there's obviously something wrong with him right now. He's not practicing. Let the man get healthy rolling him out cold when he's not right is just not working. So I don't get it. Like this roster management portion just blows my mind. The best part about that, not going for the field goal is the manage the fact that he managed to get that one wrong, not once, but twice. 
not okay. You don't want to kick the field goal with 30 ish seconds left. Fine. Trying to pin them deep where they're just going to kneel the ball down makes no sense to me. In that spot, you either go for the field goal or you punt it through the end zone. There's not near enough time to to see anything, especially with how the defense was playing in the first half. Just take take points, any point in a tight football game. And they he managed to do neither and tried to pin them inside the tent, which does nothing. You might as well just punt it to the 30 and walk away anyway. They're not doing anything from their side of the field. Just mind-boggling. That should be the episode title, mind-boggling. And then at the end of the game, and Steve, you mentioned it, going for going forward on third down when you're driving for you're, you're down 10 points going for the for the touchdown first makes a lot of sense that's absolutely the right thing to do because if let's say you do score it's easier to get a field goal from 40 yards out with no time on the clock than it is to get a touchdown from 40 yards out with no time on the clock so you absolutely go for the touchdown first so going forward on the first third third down made sense Kicking the field goal after all you did was waste time. So I don't know why that like if you're going to kick it's... the field goal, kick the field goal first. That's fine. That's a Jason Moss thing. Kick the field goal whenever you can, but that's neither here nor there. But with the amount of time that was on left, the onside kick, there was still tons of time on the clock and your defense was playing still really well. Yeah. They were starting to get tired in the fourth quarter. You could see, but kick it deep and let your defense make a play and to automatically put them again in automatic point range. Just, it made no sense whatsoever to me. Well, we, you guys saw our DM thread, like this series of plays at the end of the game was probably the, by far the most angriest I've been in a long time at this team. Cause you're right. It made no sense. If you're going like you go for that, you go for the touchdown, especially after you waste all that time, you go for the touchdown. If you don't get it, hey, you went out trying, taking three points there, you're still down by seven. And then to try the onside kick when everyone and their mother knows you're going for going to do the onside kick, like you put them in instant field goal range and you're down by 10 again. If you got the, if you got the touchdown, you're down by three. You do the onside kick. If you don't get it and they get it and they got the field goal like they did, you're down by six. You can still win with a touchdown. But all you did was put yourself down by two scores again. It was just so mind-dumbly stupid that I'm just like, like he's punking us, right? This is all just like Ashton Kutcher's gonna come out and hey, welcome to new episode of Punked, because this team makes no sense. This coaching decisions make no sense. He literally did the the wrong thing after wrong thing, and no one said, "Hey, Craig, you're," I almost swore, <laughs> "you're screwing this up." And it was like, "Okay, well, you know, we tried. I love you. Like, no, go away, dime store Ken Miller. I hate you." And here's the problem: and if you watch, go back to Craig Dickinson's first year as head coach, right out of the gate. We were questioning his game management and clock management more than anything else. There's no question that the players will play for him, except Duke Williams. But there's there's definitely 
He's got that side of it down pat. But the but from the flip side, his game management has been atrocious from the start. And he is somehow managing to get worse. And I don't understand how. Like if you if you sit and look at it, if you kick the field goal on the first play, I think you make the right call. You got just under two minutes left. You're down by a score. Kick it deep. Hold them. Go down the field for a touchdown. But I don't hate going for the touchdown. I don't mind it. But once you start, you have considered you have decided that you are going for the major in that drive. Because wasting another minute off the clock is just dumb. Just for the same result. It basically says, I'm playing not to lose. He was never playing that game to win. And when you're down to your backup quarterback and your 17th string offensive lineman and you know, high school receivers, you know, with the injuries that this team has faced, no offense to the actual receivers, they're quite talented, but with the injuries they faced, you have to play for the win. You have to go all out because there's no harm in losing when you're giving it your all. But when you basically, you know, wussy out and kick a field goal, kick an onside kick and just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well, see you next week. This is why now you're starting to see fans come around to your side, Alec. I don't think I've seen this much hate for a head coach since Greg Marshall was here. I don't know. Uh, Corey Chamberlain, uh, when he put <laughs> Tino Sinceri in kind of and goes, hey, I don't I don't throw the ball. <laughs> like, no, but you yeah. put him out there. Um, okay, well, that uh, that's a good good way to segue into what we're going to do here. And uh, I did... Steve I personally did not expect, or what? I did not expect us really? to get 50 plus comments on this. And I said, I would read them all. I can't read them all. Cause that's going to take forever. Um, but drop, I said, drop your comments below. We're going to read them time to vent about the riders after this loss. And I'll just start at the top. I'll read a bunch here and they're all going to kind of, clean. yeah. Um, so Greg, you haven't even seen these yet. No, I'm, I'm hearing these for the first time. This is gonna be fun. Okay, so I'm just going to go in order here, okay? Dickinson needs to go now. You can't have a newer quarterback start and expect a one-night stand. It takes time, and we as Ryder fans need to pull back on that negativity. Coach Dickinson has gone flat. We need somebody who's up for the challenge. Uh, I like this one. I had no internet or TV, so I did not watch the game. Um, that person lucked out. Um, Dickinson. So um, we obviously I've, did listen to it on the radio. <laughs> um, I've really tried to stay positive on the Craig Dickinson train, but he's cost us way too many games on stupid decisions. He was an amazing special teams coach, but running the whole game has him frazzled for <clears throat> sake. We have to ride this season out. I'm not convinced fine is it, but we can't quit on him now. Um, was that this by one, Dave Dickinson? This, this one surprised me. Actually, I haven't been happier this year. Dickinson was aggressive in supporting his players. The D was huge, fine through well, except for two passes, all against the top team. Great game to build on. So we found uh, I, we found his burner account? I don't necessarily agree with that, but all right. Um, how many games has Dickie coached himself out of in his career? It's got to be getting up there. Um, Dickie 
two minutes left in the third quarter on your own 42 and we go for it cost us points two minutes left in the game third and two down 10 we go for it and end up kicking another field goal clear arm to the head on the challenge i'm tired of dickie's inability to make critical coaching decisions um and like i said there's there's another 40 plus in here oh yeah we didn't Um, even talk about that challenge oh i mean he's bad he he, take away his challenge flag yeah. Legit take away his challenge flag. Hey, you he, know how he never uses it. He's only used it twice all year. Yeah, and, and he is technically one for terrible. One, for one was a fishing expedition, and the other one was an obvious roughing the passer that they were going to call him regardless. And that actually changed the entire game. That that, that was your TSN call. turning point right there. Yeah, um, but it it just goes to show now that this is where Rider Nation is at. This is where Rider fans are at with the Riders right now. It's clear to me that it's not the on-field, it's not the players, it's not Mason Fine. I think a lot of people are willing to have the patience with a a young quarterback only making his third start, and we're going to talk about how long of a leash we'll give him a little bit later on, but it's, it's on the coach, and a lot of fans are finally getting fed up with, I mean, to start the season last year, 2021 the team was winning despite um some of these decisions even earlier this year when the team was three and one they were winning despite some of the baffling decisions that were being made now it's biting the team now it's costing them games and this is what have this is what has the fans upset um so that's where rider fans are at right now with craig dickinson and i mean you can't coach based on what the fans think of you because you're never going to win that way and you might as well just quit because you're going to get fired at that point but i don't know like i i just don't know like you're not going to fire craig dickinson right now it's not going to happen so anybody that wants it to happen it's not going to but all i know is chris jones found a way to screw two franchises good for him So we'll, we'll see what comes this week. We'll see what uh, third down that Craig Dickinson goes for that he probably shouldn't. Uh, hopefully it works out for him. And This, this game this week is going to be a train side, wreck. On the plus side, we can have an entirely new segment on the show to find a sponsor for it. And how will Craig Dickinson screw up this week? You can almost bet on it. See what mistake he makes, where he's going to mess up. Will it be the first quarter, second quarter? All three, four. The good, the good news is, we're going to be covered from coast to coast. Yeah. Um, a couple injuries in that game though, too. Um, not good for uh, Brian Cox Jr. Uh, looked like it was a leg injury. Yeah, that didn't look wasn't good. wasn't there for day one of practice, and he's probably going to be out for a while. He got rolled up on, uh, had to be carried off by the a uh, couple of his teammates. Uh, he was not putting pressure on that leg. I do not expect to see him anytime soon. Um, he was having a great game, but I got to admit, Cor- uh, uh, um, Corte uh, Lake Moore was really fitting in there really well. Or, did I say how does he's got three names? How what is it? Lake Corte Moore. That's it. That yeah. makes more sense. His name is Lake Body of Water. Bloody hippies, which makes sense playing in Saskatchewan with the amount of bodies of water we have here. Um, and Mitch Picton uh, going down with an injury. As, see, there's Steve shaking his head again. Uh, Mitch Picton um, didn't practice day one. 
head injury. Uh, once he went out in that game, uh, it just seemed like the Riders were missing something on offense. Um, whether it was just play calling, putting in Alberto Wachi a little bit more to run routes. I saw he was running routes a lot more than he normally does. So I don't know if that threw things off, but uh, hopefully it's nothing too serious for Mitch Picton. But on the good news, players are returning. Receivers are returning. Canadian receivers are returning. So if he doesn't play this week, that's not the end of the world. We'll get to that when we look at the Argos game. And one more thing here in the opening kickoff. Riders signed defensive back Tremaine Washington um, was with the Calgary Stampeders last year, led the CFL in interceptions in 2021 when he's with Ottawa. Um, I like this signing, but it does make me question how serious that injury to Roland Milligan is. And if he's going to be out longer than, I mean, they put him on the six game list, right? So is he going to be out longer than that? Um, does it mean Jeremy Clark gets benched or cut? Does that happen soon? If I'm Jeremy Clark, I'm no. glad I'm renting and didn't buy. Like he's lucky he didn't it wasn't bully if I mentioned bought a house because flipping that thing right now would be hard. But yeah, I I think Clark is definitely gonna be the odd man out with Washington once he gets up to speed. So I don't see him in the I don't expect him in the lineup this week because that's a pretty pretty tall ass to send him out to uh, out to the Maritimes, but uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what he can do. But yeah, my first reaction was how bad is Milligan's injury? Because why are you bringing in a guy that caliber uh, if Milligan's going to be back? But he, I don't think he's going to be. And Craig Dickinson said that he should be able to help us out at some time this season. Didn't specify when, so that makes me think that he won't be dressed this week. Um, I'd say why not? Put him out there. This guy's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. Put him out there. Okay, can't be any worse than what Jeremy Clark was. Oh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you could put Deron Carter back at defensive back. Oh, please, can we? Somewhere, somewhere Junior Murtel's going, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Too many references to this 2015 team this year. With, oh, uh, such a bad team. Chamberlain oh, and God. Junior Murtel, my goodness. Uh Hey, but Tino Sinceri got married this week. That's maybe that's why it's fresh in mind. And Tino Sinceri is going into the Plaza of Honor. <laughs> oh my God, he is too. Um, oh sweet Jesus! That's that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal Page of John Realty. Let's jump to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. And as we do that, the Banjo Bowl is coming up. We have our bus going out there. Ten spots left. Um, just a heads up: we need to have everything figured out by August 9th. So preferably before then, if you're on the fence about that, making the trip to Winnipeg, we have a great deal for you. It's 300 bucks. Ride there, ride back. Ticket to the game. Hotel will take you to the hotel, to the game, everything. Lunch stop we'll along the way. Home. We'll even bring you home. That's right. Uh, we're not going to leave you in Winnipeg, which is the most important thing. What's the best thing about going to Winnipeg? Leaving. Um <laughs> And, and I can I mean, tell you from experience, <laughs> we're we're it's an absolutely great trip, whether we win or lose. It's it's a lot of fun, even on the losing side. We still make it a good trip. And, and we were there for some losing ones. And there's oh. Swarma Khan and there's a rum hut. Oh yeah. And, Squeak and, and, uh, Ted. and our seats are right by the rum hut. Yeah. May have been died by design. It was by design. You're welcome. Obviously by design. 
Uh, lots of prizes on the bus as well, too. So if uh, you're looking for some extra router gear, we'll probably have it for you. Um, so send us a message on uh, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere. Just let us know. X. Um, X. Um, I'm going to think of Des Bryant all the time here and how he didn't catch it um, the whole time. Um, as a Packers fan, he dropped it. Just saying. <laughs> so uh, if you want to go to the Badger Bowl, let us know. We'll get you there and back. Um, but I mentioned the Plaza of Honor inductees, Tino Sinceri going in. Okay, so we'll talk about the 2013 team here in a second. But Wendy Kelly going in, uh, the first female going into the Plaza of Honor. She volunteered well for years with this team, was on the board of directors. She basically was in charge of the 95 Grey Cup parade and everything behind the scenes for, for Grey Cup 95. She's a big part of. I love this. This is a great... Um, Great inductee for me. My only issue with it, with it is it's post. Uh, uh, after I can't say that word. Uh, uh, she, unfortunately, she passed away, so yeah. she won't be around to uh, accept the honor. Um, uh, but yeah, like it, well deserved, well, well past due. But that seems to be the uh, key words with Plaza of Honor is usually way past due. And going in with her is the entire 2013 Grey Cup team. Let's take a minute and talk about this. Not too long, but we all saw this coming. All the other three Grey Cup winning teams are in the Plaza of Honor. Um, it's the 10-year anniversary. They already announced that they were going to celebrate that team for Plaza of Honor Night slash Legends Night. But it's just a cop-out to me because you're putting in a guy like Tino Sinceri in the same realm you're putting in Darian Durant. Darian Durant himself, by name, and Rob Bag, who's eligible this year too, should be in the Plaza of Honor. Those two should be the names. You can induct that team anytime. You can wait another five years and do a 15-year anniversary. They're probably going to do a 15-year anniversary in five years' time for this team. You can put them in anytime. And you're going to have... You're going to have the locals. You're going to have Neil Hughes, who's going in for the third time. You're going to have Mike McCullough going in for the third time as well, actually. Um, Chris gets laugh. You're going to have Dan Clark will probably end up being there. And that's great and everything. Like, it'll be it'll be fine. Hopefully, Durant, he's hinted at him wanting to come for that. So hopefully he does come for that. But it should be Durant himself. And it should be Rob Bag. And I just feel like the riders drop the ball on this because they can do the team at any time. This, this is they couldn't get Darian to commit. If they could have got Darian to commit, I think we'd be having a different conversation. It's no secret that, and we've talked about it before, Darian and the team's relationship was strained quite a bit. But it looks like there's some inroads. Darian came back to the province for the first time in forever on a, I guess a publicity thing. Um, so who knows? Nutrient threw a lot of money at him. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly it. So, so there could be some inroads coming here, but yeah, it's, like I said, 2013 was, Hey, we can't get Darian for sure. So we'll do the team. And if he shows up, it's great. And then we can maybe get him in next year. But yeah, it just shows they couldn't, get him put his 
pen to paper, so to speak. That's exactly what it is. If if you can get Durant in here, you get Durant, Rob Bag, Weston Dressler, you get that group together, that's who goes into the plot. I don't believe Dressler is eligible Dressler's yet. Dressler's in. He got in last year with Mike McCullough. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah, because it, it, put... it stole the show. Right. And it's taller than him. Right. Sorry. I tried to forget everything that happened last year. It, honestly, it's it's it all comes down to Durant. It's clear that there is something still between him and the riders, and they can't get him to to get not get past that because we don't know what it is he has to get past. But at some point, they're going to have to make strides there, and until they do, every time they in, induct people into the plaza, it's going to be the wrong group because he he and Bag belong or are the next guys that deserve to go with. There's no question in there's one name that actually deserves more than they do. Probably shivers. Oh, absolutely. But that's never happening. We've, we've, if he hasn't been inducted by now, he never will. And it's, it's a joke. I've had an an absolute joke. So normally the team announces who gets into the plaza of honor in May. Usually it happens before the season starts. So they waited till mid July to do it. Um, I've had an article written, ready to go for pifflespodcast.com since May about who the 2024 inductees should be. And spoiler alert, so I'm going to release it later this week. Roy and Danny go in. They need to, Roy needs to go in. Agreed. There's some honor, honorable mentions as well, too, for players from that era of the Riders. I mean, I, I, I say in it that obviously bag and durant have to go in but i'm just kind of excluding them because that's the obvious but i put yeah roy and danny and i think well we we had this conversation last year when roy went into the canadian hall of fame the fact the team couldn't honor him before he went into the canadian hall of fame is a joke and the fact that they had him in they did that video him talking to the team and hey look we we like roy again like it, it was like uh, the old folks in the back of the thing. We like Roy. We <laughs> like Roy. Be <laughs> like boy. Be like boy. <laughs> but the fact remains, he's still not in the plaza. And whether you liked him or hated him, Roy built that 2017. Everyone wants to give the flowers to Tillman. And yes, he tweaked it. And yes, he got lucky because the Ottawa uh, Renegades, almost said Red Blacks, folded. And we got ourselves a quarterback and a receiver. And it was. But Roy and Danny started that renaissance. And just because Roy was really, really crusty to a bunch of reporters and a bunch of people in this market is the reason why he's not in it. And it's a joke. Yep. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. As long as Roy Shivers is not in the Plaza of Honor, the Plaza of Honor is a joke. It's, it's as simple as that. They have watered it down and refused to give in, give in to somebody who is obviously deserving of nomination and should have been over a decade. It's what else, what else can we say? I'm sure we'll have this conversation again next year when they don't. They don't. They don't put him in. It's kind of like the, kind of like the annual uh, CFL Hall of Fame. Whenever Wayne Shaw doesn't get inducted, you, you see the, the grumpy people for a day or two, and then when everybody moves on, there's certain things you can wait. You see, you can set your watch to for the CFL 
<laughs> rant a thon, I guess. And this is one of them. Um, for preseason, it's or training camp, it's me and begging for bikes. Um, which I don't think I did this year, actually. You no, well, because they didn't do it. You, you by the way, you want to see my head explode. And if we're around next year and we're on video, people will actually see my head explode. It will be them putting John Chicken over uh, over Shivers, guaranteed. On the field, John Chick absolutely deserves to be in there. And we had this conversation a couple weeks ago on the show, was that Craig Reynolds has a decision to make, and his job is to protect the brand. That's where his decision is going to lead him to, and that is protecting the brand. And for that reason, unless something happens, John Chick will not get inducted, not by himself. He should, based on football. But outside of football, there's just too much damage done for him to get in. Is he coming this year? You know, I no, no, he won't. Um, he's not happy with the league. He's not happy with the team for putting up the pride logos and all that. Um, if they can get him to do a quick video where he says thanks to Saskatchewan and you can edit that down to five, ten seconds, and include that in a package with guys who won't be able to be there. Great. I think that's the best way to approach it. Um, because he was a huge part of that team, obviously. He was. And it's just, you you don't deal with that PR. You don't even bother bringing him. And then you don't have to worry about the PR at that, at that point, right? Like, it's just. He's going to send in a, a monologue just that. Two minutes long, and part of it will be thanks for nothing to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and the riders will cut it down to thanks to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yes, it'll be delightful. Can. Sweet, can. it'll be a clear edit, clear edit, and I can't wait for it. How many, Sweet how many more? Can. Yeah, how many more Simpsons references can you fit in here? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make at least three more before we're, we're out of here. I know it. All right. Uh, well, let's jump to uh, some odds and end zones around the CFL, and a lot of. Uh, uh, defensive end talk. Uh, Sean Lemon signed in Montreal. God bless um, him. And the Owls cut Nick Usher to make room for him. The Ticats trade to Garrett Davis to Calgary for a sixth rounder. So does that so mean a great, Calgary great cup, uh, make a great cup berth for the uh, stamp, uh, for the Calgary Stampeders? Now for the Stamps, that move makes sense though because James Botters uh, sounds like he's going to be out for the season with a torn bicep. So that's a big loss for them. So they had to do something. They used to have Jagger Davis on the team. So you bring in a, a commodity who's kind of fallen over the last year. But oh, this, this past year has not been good for him. I don't know if it's the tie cats or him, but yeah, something wasn't right. Like he wasn't the dominant force he could be. Uh, Bull Levi Mitchell back for the tie cats practicing. Um, ultimately, I think that's a good thing for the league. The league needs quarterbacks to succeed old and young. And if Bo can come back and put the Ticats back into the playoff race there in the all of a sudden really competitive East division, um, that's nothing but good for the league, which leads me to Dustin Crum and how it's good for the league. Crum and the Red Blacks, that game against Calgary was awesome. The whole game was, was an excellent game. Front Sounds two. like a bad punk band. Crumb in the Red Blacks. Sounds like a fun Red Blacks. Yeah. Um, this guy started the season as the fourth stringer. And Bobby Dice has shown confidence in him. 
something the riders haven't done with a guy who's been around for three years with Mason fine. Crumb's getting that already in just his third game of action to second game of action. Actually, uh, they're letting him play. And yes, there's a lot for him to learn in the pro game. He'll probably be the first to tell you that. And he'll point out all the missed throws or decisions that he's made to run the ball when he should have thrown it. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure he's the first one that's going to tell you about that. But Bobby Dice and Dustin Crum have this Red Blacks team believing. Do you believe in the Red Blacks? Do you not yes. believe in the Crumback kid? <laughs> Honestly, like what he's done so far, it it's exciting, if nothing else. And this league is better for a entertaining Ottawa team. And honestly, those fans have been through hell and back and <laughs> those they, six they, years of of struggling those red black fans but, i mean if you look at it post gray cup win and they were spoiled out of the game we all know that but ever since that gray cup win and even that year they're a sub 500 football team and yet those fans still they still support that they're still a solid young fan base and you know a little bit of excitement is good for them now, too much of a good thing right off the bat. I hope it. I hope it doesn't become an expectation on fans, and they put a ton of pressure on this kid. But he looks like he's got the full package from a football perspective, and, and a great a name that they can make jokes about. Can I, can I tell you guys a story? There was a team once had a quarterback that no one expected to be the starting quarterback because their quarterback got hurt, and he put put together a lot of good games and. He gave a fan base a lot of hope, and and he he, he excited no, the fan base. He put up no. a ton of yards, and everyone thought they had the quarterback of the future that was going to be here for years to come. Was going to lead them the Grey Cups, and that quarterback now is the quarterback of the Montreal Alouettes. See, I thought you were like, making a Patriots reference there at the beginning. Well, no, 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 no. That, that's and then the, off you went. No, but yeah. <laughs> That was a very like, obvious sprinkle of Jesus reference. Yeah, there, there was. Yeah. yeah, Alex got it yeah. right away. We've seen we've seen the story before. There are quarterbacks when they're allowed to play their game can catch lightning in a bottle. And I hope for the sake of Crumb, he can keep it going, because I know what Cody did for this franchise, but I also know what happens when other teams get enough film on you, and know your ticks. If you can't adjust, what will happen? Right now, Cody's looking fairly decent. He's got also a lot of really good receivers in Montreal that have come out of nowhere. He's still doing that left-hand turn, but he's doing better than he was here. But he wasn't the. He's still not the 2019 Cody. That 2019 Cody was the most outstanding player nominee out of the West. He's still not playing to that level. And yeah, Crumbs looked looked exciting, but that's two overtime wins. And yes, one was against Winnipeg, and one's against a so-so Stamps team. So, Steve, for the first time in forever, did not call the tie between the Stamps and the Red Blocks. And that almost looked like a mistake. That almost looked like a mistake. Might have been angry. Like, I may not have Might have been. You were angry. Might have been that angry. We were were on the other side of those DMs. We saw how mad you were. (laughs) Oh. But let's, like, Crumb's doing well, and I'm glad he's creating a buzz, but let's not anoint the kid king yet there's still a lot of football to play 
Well, maybe he'll have one more good game, and then uh, comes crashing back down to earth on August sixth. Uh, that'll be something oh, for hope. us to talk about in a couple weeks. I'll be high rolling in a box. And let, let, can't wait. Let's be honest. There's just as high a likelihood that he can or that he falls back down and becomes crummy the crummy quarterback versus the crumbback kid. And there is honestly no end to the puns you can make with his name. I'm I want to so see he him can crumble. It. So we're hoping he crumbles. Exactly. Right? Like he's got the perfect name for a lot of fun. So I hope he stays slightly above mediocre, moderately successful. Just just, just to make it entertaining. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh let's talk get back to talking about the riders here. Touchdown Atlantic at Toronto in Halifax, uh, road game Saturday, 2 p.m. From C to C. That yeah. is the craziest travel schedule for any team. Regina. I don't want to hear anyone to complain about their schedule this year. This is ridiculous. Regina to Vancouver, back to Regina to Halifax. Meanwhile, the guy, the teams that are playing went from Toronto to all the way to Hamilton, back to Toronto to Halifax. So 45 minutes, 45 minutes down the I've, road on a bus. And I don't then, care what the line, I'm that, telling you right now, I don't care if the line is take the Argos. Yeah. And it's actually, sure. you know what the line is. I do know what the line is, but I'm just telling you, I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that travel thing is ridiculous. Um, that's actually one of my five things to watch is how fresh the riders legs will be at the end of the, uh, end of the fourth quarter, just based on that travel alone. And um, but anyway, good news. Lots of guys seem to be returning for this game for the Riders. Uh, notably, most notably, Peter Godber on the offensive line. Um, not that I have anything against Logan Bandy, but he's not Peter Godber. Um, they need Godber back there. And thank Godber. Yeah. Um, I made the joke that, right good. That um, <laughs> should hopefully get the run game going a little bit more. Um because Colin Kelly's been fine on the right side. Logan Furland's been okay on the right side. If you can shore up, you know, three of those spots. Council's been Mason. He's been fine. Um, nothing spectacular, but nothing bad by any means. And you have Evan, Evan Johnson. Johnson has been there. Yeah. Um, so often looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> That's geeing uh, it up. So getting Godber back is huge, but also some help for um, Mason Fine from the receivers. Braden Linius back off the six-game list. Uh, should be playing starting for Mitch Pickton in this one. Um, that's going to be huge. The first time we'll see him all year. Jake Winicky, uh looks like he's coming off the six-game list to play for this game as well, too. Again, getting a veteran, an intermediate, the guy who is the intermediate route runner for this team that they've been missing over the last couple weeks. I didn't, I didn't hate Watson has been pretty good in that spot. Not, not too many balls were thrown at Watson. Was I thinking, Oh, Winnikey would have got that one. Like Watson was looking good. I, I had no complaints against Watson in that Winnikey spot. Let's, let's be honest. You look at our receiving core through the first six weeks and there's, I don't think anybody would find a lot of problems with the guys that have been out there. But when you get guys healthy, you got to roll them out. You got to roll out that number one unit. And to get the guys back that we're getting back, of course, we lose somebody before uh, with Picton going out. And that didn't look good. It's, it's, 
it's a nice problem to have finally. And we got to see the depth from behind the uh, the starting five, which can only be good coming down later in the season. Um, no Tevin Jones in day one of practice. No Mitch Pickton we mentioned. Uh, Jake Herslow was actually uh, running with the number ones. Uh, he was kind of a training camp standout, was cut and then brought back a couple weeks ago. Um, we'll see how the rest of practice goes as to who's lining up where if Tevin Jones comes back. But if not, looks like he might get a, a shot. Um, so that's always exciting to see uh, a young guy get their first first crack at it. But also returning to the team, Anthony Lanier on the Ooh. D-line and couldn't come at a better time with uh, Brian Cox Jr. getting hurt. So if you can get Lanier back and shore up that middle and I guess play him on the end as well too, that's going to be that's going to be big for this team continuing their newfound pass rush that they seemingly found last week against BC. Getting Lanier back is great, and honestly, if if and when Cox gets healthy, if he can get healthy, I wouldn't mind rotating Lanier back to the middle. And running Cox, Lanier, Micah, and Robertson. Because, but that being said, Christmas play has played very well too up the middle. Uh, De Beers is the only guy right now that I'm going. Is he banged up or is he just not there this year? Because typically that guy was a run stopper, and this year I don't know what is the issue. I think getting Lanier back is a huge deal. You you absolutely want that guy out on the field as often as possible preferably like you said back in the middle it just it, it's not working for him so far this year maybe the week off will do him some good and we can get back to week one uh, defensive line versus well or last week's defensive line versus the uh, the four in the middle there um another guy returning to practice for the first time this season won't be playing this week but kian schaefer baker uh returned uh for the first little bit of practice, didn't really stick around too, too long, but that's a good thing. Uh, sounds like he's still not likely not to be back until Labor Day, uh, but getting KSB back, uh, having him practice, get ready. That's a, that's a good thing for the Riders. They're going to need him, especially uh, when they have back-to-back games against Winnipeg, Labor Day, Banjo Bowl. Uh, so get him healthy, get him ready to go. So excellent to see that. A lot of people this last game against BC, you were calling for Jake Dolagala to play. I kind of, well, but like to actually take the reins at quarterback in the fourth quarter, I wasn't all the way there yet. Um, at the end of the game, I figured if you weren't going to let Mason fine play, like you might as well just throw Jake Dolagala in at that point. Um, but this game, if the offense struggles like they did against BC, how long of a leash do you guys give Mason fine? A quarter. That's it. You're not. They're, they're not expected to win this game anyway. If the game's close, you you roll with fine. Like we're talking ten points. If Toronto is up by fourteen or more, what's it going to hurt throwing Dolagal out there? Somebody swap you for Craig Dickinson because that's about as questionable a <laughs> an option as I think I've ever seen. You got to give a guy more than a quarter of football. If but we're getting blown just, out, no. If we're get if if we're if we're constantly three and out and punting the ball and nothing is working like it was in that game, you got to try something. 
But you and yeah, maybe, maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I am Craig Dickinson, but at the same time, like they got to do something. And Dicky ain't winning games what what he's doing now. So do something. How many games have we watched this year where Trevor Harris was slow out of the gate and picked up as the, especially into the second half? It, that's that's not an abnormal thing where guys are slow out of the gate and they slowly get into the game, especially this week when it's going to be an entirely new potential receiving core for him versus the guys that he went out there with last week. To If if Mason Fine is your number two quarterback, if he's the guy that you project as your team's number two, you give him the game. You don't even think about taking him. There's to me To me, anything less than three quarters is would be ridiculous. But I honestly give him the full game and say, this is your team. Run with it or fall. Now, generally, I will agree with Steve on that. Uh, if this is your backup, this is your number two guy, you let him go. And I mean, even if he stinks up the joint in this game, you still start him next week as well, too. I still think that's the guy you're going to build on. But Jake Dolagala almost beat these same Argos last year. Um in a game that nobody expected him to play and ended up starting. Um, so maybe Greg's onto something here. Maybe, maybe Dolagala is the key. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say G W R ding. Um, yeah, but maybe you're onto something there with, uh, with Dolagala. Um, I, but I do side with Steve. I, I don't think you, you give him a couple quarters. You give him the first half. Um, I just hope it doesn't turn into, you know, a Durant Giles thing where you're just rotating them throughout because that doesn't work for anybody. There's no rhythm. Um, but if if the game's close at the half, you still have to keep going with Mason Fine. Agreed. The game's if the game's close. You roll with Fine. I'm just saying, Argos get up and nothing's going on, and they're up by two, three scores. You got to try something at that point. Yep, agreed. And that's usually the first thing to to happen. You can't change, you know, five receivers at a time. You change the one quarterback, right? So, um, what's giving me a little bit of hope in this game for the Riders is the Argo secondary. They've given up a lot of big plays. If Mason Fine can get a little bit of time to have those longer plays develop, maybe you start seeing him take some shots, um, because that's where I think the Argos can be exploited in this game. Uh, you're going to have to really stop their run game because A.J. Louette, who might be my favorite player in the CFL, um, just based Great off the mullet alone. Um, Much of that is the mullet. Oh, and like beyond. 95% of it. Um, but I love his style of play. He's just a blue-collar type you know, player, oh, right? Lunch pail player. Like, yeah, and I love those kind of guys. That's why I loved Rob Bag was he was just that lunch pail type guy. And... Yeah, no, AJ Lett's awesome. So, but they really gotta key in and, and focus on him. And even though I have to say I'm starting to turn into a Chad Kelly guy, like I still don't. I don't know. Right now, he's the mop. He's the most outstanding player in the CFL, and I never thought I'd say that. So oh, I know I was. I would never. Would never would have said that even after he led the team to the Grey Cup last year. After uh, Macbeth Bethel Thomason went down, um, it's just yeah he's he's proven us wrong. Like he's playing very very well. 
I did not expect to see that discipline. So he might get that NFL look eventually after all. Um, the all scary right. thing with Chad Kelly is you're looking at a, a a mobile quarterback again, and that is not this team's strong suit. You, you get him outside the pocket, we're 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 not going to have an enjoyable experience. It, it's going to be a lot of touchdown Atlantic for the Toronto Argos, and not so much for us. Okay, so that leads me into uh, what we've been doing lately, and going to get you guys to pick an impact player for the Riders both sides O and D, but let me go first on defense because I think stopping Kelly is the big key and the run game. And I'm going to go with Larry Dean. I think he was uh, excellent last week against BC, especially on the blitz, but you're probably going to need him to really stop the run here. So I got to go with Larry Dean on defense. Go ahead, Steve. I was going to say you go ahead. I stole yours last week, so I'll give you the chance this time. Uh, I'm actually going with uh, F and Nick Marshall. I think he's going to be, uh, they're going to be airing the ball out. He's going to, uh, Chad Kelly's going to try to push the field. I think he's going to get uh, interception or two because we're going to need it. I'm going to, I'm going to go with, uh, with Micah Johnson. I think they need to get some absolute, some pressure on Chad Kelly right out of the gate. And I think it starts with Johnson either blowing things up or eating a lot of double teams all game long to, to open things up for that D line and the front seven as a whole. We we saw what this D line could do this last week against BC. You, you need more of that. You need a ton of that. And it's going to be a tough sledding and you need Micah Johnson to pull it out. He was great one BC last week. He was. Can I say one quick thing? They interviewed him at halftime and I don't think I've ever heard Micah Johnson talk. I expected him to be like, Tony Todd, like deep voice, Terry Tate linebacker. Nope. No, he is nope. not. He's a very soft-spoken man. He is absolutely the opposite of what he is on the field in in person. He's a big giant teddy bear, honestly, he is. Which is fine, but yeah, like I did not expect that voice coming out of that man. It was probably the most jarring thing of that entire game. Um, offense. Who's gonna be the impact player for the Riders? Steve, you go first on this one. Let me go way off the board. Jake Herslow, who is a, a big, uh, a big talk out of camp. He he was that he was the Terrence Nunn of training camp this past year, just or the the Keith Tostin, if you would, the and Jester just, Wea. <laughs> right? Like for for years, there's there's been that guy that lights it up in camp. He's that next guy, and he never gets a chance. And I'll never forgive the Riders for never giving Keith Tostin a chance. But I think this time they're going to give him a shot and it's going to work. He just, he, he looked like he had all the right, all the right things put together. I have high hopes for him. So way off the board and Jake Herslow. How many Jakes do we have on the team this year? Two. Winicky, Herslow. Mm, it feels like more. We have two Jakes uh, and a Lake. I guess then maybe that's why <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Morrow. I, I understand the running game has not been there this year, but I, I feel like this is the game where we might actually see some uh, that uh, closing pitching, so to speak him running downhill, knock, knocking guys around and getting to the outside. Cause we, we need to buy Mason fine time. And the only thing that's going to happen is a strong running game. Um. I'm going to take the other Jake, Jake Winicky in this game, assuming that he is activated and plays. 
Um, talked about the Argos having issues in the secondary, giving up big plays. This is, I guess, kind of your deep play guy right now uh, for lack of anybody else going deep. Sean Bain's not been that type of role player anyway um, for the Riders. So, and if, and if Tevin Jones is out, Winnicky's the guy to be able to do that. So that's uh, that's my guy this week. We have three Jakes. We also got Dalagala. Oh, yeah. We literally oh, yeah. just talked about him. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. wait a second. No, I'm pretty sure Dalagala's Jake, too. But all right. So if you're looking, if you're in the market for a jersey, just put Jake on the back and you're set for a little while anyway. For, for a little bit, yeah. All right. Let's make our picks this week for all the games here. Um, first game of the week, Hamilton at Ottawa. Actually, a I've massive the, game in the East. I've got the line in front of me. Uh, tell me where it's at, guys. What do you think? Ottawa minus two. Ottawa minus... Jesus. Who would have thought that we'd, we'd be predicting Ottawa to win against Hamilton? In Ottawa, no less. Um, I'm going to go Ottawa five and a half. Uh, Ottawa started at five and a half. They are now three and a half. Wow. Um, Minus 175 on the money line. To cover the spread, Hamilton. Ottawa's... uh, The last couple games have been field goal games in overtime. They've been within two points. They've been within three points, right? So, Well, that's what I mean. Like Everyone's so excited about Ottawa this year, and I'm like, they won two games in overtime. It's not like they're blowing people out. I, I think, yeah, I think it could very well be within that spread. I'm, I'm going to take Ottawa on the points. I'm, I'm on Hamilton. Riders and Toronto. Touchdown Atlantic. It's got to be Toronto by like 12. No, it won't be that much. Really? Eight and a half. Ten and a half. Argos are minus five ten. Riders are plus four oh five. Wow. Uh I'll take the riders on the on the spread. I don't think they win, but to cover ten points, I'm sure. I don't see yeah, it being a I would say the same. Yeah, I think the riders are gonna cover that spread. I, I'm kind of curious that... about putting a, a sprinkle on them upright for a plus four oh five. If they can pull off That's a miracle. Pretty- yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's a that's a good value pick right there. Absolutely. As long as that lighter uh, defense is on the field, but it's not going to be a 10-point plus game. That defense is good. And the offense has to do something eventually, right? Even by accident. It, it, worst case scenario, we got Mario Alford. Exactly. Yeah. Just force a couple two and outs and you got a chance. Uh BC at Edmonton. Before we pick this, this is really cool, and I love this. This is going to be the first football, pro football game to be broadcast in Punjabi. Um, the Elks announced that this uh, on Tuesday, I think. Uh, so this is it's going to be the same guys that do the the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast in Punjabi. And if you're, I was about get, to say they they do a very good job at. And I'm it's like, not hard Ryan saying, so you may not get a Bonino, 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 Bonino. Uh, call uh, us Pittsburgh Penguins fans. Uh, we'll always have that etched in our memory, yep. but it's a great initiative. And they did games in Cree last year as well, too. And to bring in just another potential fan base 
into the CFL is is brilliant. And I love this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and listen to some of this. Um, because if you can build the same excitement that you know, hockey night in Canada in Punjabi is a huge thing now. Yeah. And if you can build that fan base the same way, that's a great win for this league. Well, a few weeks ago, Calgary actually did a video segment in Punjabi on their uh, X account, I guess, Twitter account now, or Twitter account before. So it it's definitely a market they need to reach. So why not? It's absolutely a constantly growing market in Canada. And in a, again, in a stadium like Edmonton, where you've got, what, 60,000 seats, if you can tap into another market, why would you not? And if you've ever actually sat and listened to, now obviously I don't speak the language at all, but if you ever just sit and listen to the highlight packages, it is it sounds exciting, it sounds entertaining, and the guys that, that do it for, hockey, for Punjabi Night in Canada bring a completely different style to it that makes it that just makes it fun. Like again, I don't speak the language, but I've watched that Benino clip a hundred times. It's just the the excitement level is is off the charts when they do it right. So I'm I'm excited to see it. And like you, I may I may listen back to some of it just to see if they get that same you know excitement level. Because obviously hockey with the constant action is a lot easier to keep that excitement level at a high level. I'm curious to see if it if it carries over into football. Uh, um, just I just want to go back to the Saskatchewan for a second. The over under is forty eight and a half. <laughs> They're expecting points. Oh, which has not come in a Riders game. Yeah, a lot of them by Toronto, maybe. Um, yeah. So, anyways, BC and Edmonton, uh, spread and uh, uh, yeah, spread. Gotta be. Even though it's Dane Evans starting for BC, uh, it's still gotta be like eleven points. I would have said the same, but before we started recording, Greg said this one surprised him. So I feel like it's a lot lower than that. I want to go eight and a half. See, and I don't usually listen to Greg when he talks. So that's true. Well, it's if, he's if, never right. If I did, I probably would have said like five. Um, it started uh, BC minus nine and a half. It is now dropping to minus eight. People are putting their money on the Edmonton Elks to win at home. I mean, if there's a game they're going to do it, it's probably going to be against a backup quarterback. And Dane Evans, who, like I said, is probably the best backup in the league. Um, but this Edmonton team's a tire fire. I BC with the points. Oh yeah, absolutely. Steve, uh, sorry, um, you're in a well again, bud. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I can fix that. <laughs> Sending I love down the well. <laughs> for, for those that don't know, actually, before the show, uh, Steve starts talking into the mic before we hit record and has that echo. And uh, Greg always a Simpsons reference again. Um, yeah, sending, sending our love down sending the well. Our love down the well. <laughs> um, Does it sound better now? Do I still have that echo? You still, still got the echo. echo. We're just, we're we're just about done we'll here, though. But we'll, we'll live with it. We'll live with it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to take the Riders. Yeah. Hang on. Let uh, me make my choice. It's BC in the points, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Not even a question in my mind. 
Um, Calgary at Montreal. I think this one will be pretty close. Uh, Calgary minus 1.5. Steve? I uh, I think it'll be Montreal. No. Yeah, Montreal three and a half. Uh, it's Montreal two and a half. I think Montreal wins and the points. Yep. I, I think they win outright. Yeah, it's a, it's a field goal game. I don't see Calgary getting get within that. I'd agree. Montreal by maybe a touchdown. Maybe. Well, there we go. Uh, best of luck with your uh, with your bets this week, everybody. Hopefully you're uh, making some Locking money on the riders. If you're throwing some money on the riders, hopefully that uh, turns out well for you. I'm, I'm throwing a sprinkle. I'm throwing a sprinkle on that plus 400 because that just a lot of money to give. I mean, especially it's the in the CFL. CFL. Yeah. Yeah. Anything can happen. Like Ottawa winning at home. Right? It, but not Edmonton winning and, at home. No. And now that no. it's happened, I feel like it'll happen again. But Edmonton may not win at home anytime soon. They might not win ever again. Um, which for a lot of us that grew up hating Edmonton from the late 70s and 80s on uh, is not a... We're not upset about their 0-7 record. Um, but that's also very bad for the league. So yeah. they they need to start winning. Um, just more parity is is what's needed. But that'll do it for another episode of the Piffles Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, the Piffles Podcast brought to you by our great friends at on at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as always go out to Kathy Feshin of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. And thanks as always to the Johnny McKegg band who you heard to start the show and to Tyler Gilbert ending the show with ghost behind your mind. Max power, the name that you mustn't touch. There's another Simpson reference. The ghost behind your mind.